As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, every now and then. Sportsman Drag Racing. I am joined as usual by my co-host, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is in Alabama. I am at home in Southern Illinois. It's raining right now. Big Jed, coming off another big win. How are you, my friend? That's right. I am well, Luke. I am well. Thank you for, uh, for the props and thank you for asking. All is good. And, um, Alabama's beautiful, so we're not getting any rain, and things are going well on the racetrack. Big Red is uh, is really performing well and making me look good. So, man, I couldn't be happier right now, Luke. Couldn't be happier. When Big Red is happy, everybody's happy. Whoa. Hang on. We got something going on with your sound. Uh-oh. That was good. But okay. Whatever you just said, just was there was nothing there. It was just... A smile and air. That's that's interesting. What I said was, yeah. when Big Red is happy, everybody's happy. <laughs> couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Big Red is uh, currently in Bristol, Tennessee. And uh, John Siegel's going to be shooing it at the, at the fall fling. So, man, I'm excited to get to watch my old hot rod do some work this week. And things are good right now. You couldn't, you couldn't find a better driver, huh? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, John, I, I just I just went top ten all time and went with John. That was the best I could do. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing my boy Siegel get after. Is uh, is Big Red in wheelie form or no? Well, she don't really have a wheelie form. You know, it's it's them babies right now. She she's in the in the eighty plus degree heat. She's she's got about nine inches in her that didn't sound good at all that did not sound good <laughs> <laughs> when the 
when the air is better, uh, it'll do a higher wheelie. Let's say, I, let me clean that up. I apologize. I apologize to every, if you got your kids with you or your wife or anything. I, I'm sorry. We're, we're doing our best to clean this thing up. Oh, that was bad. We've got a fair amount to get to on today's show. We've got some fun stuff on tap. I think there's only one place to start, though, Big Jen. Let's go to Rockingham, North Carolina. SFG World Series, where Corey Galletti won the $60,000 main event. That's no surprise. It is a bit of a surprise, Big Jed. What he did right before he pre-staged for that $60,000 final, what was that? I don't know. He shut, shut the door. He shut the damn door, and then he won the damn race. That, that <laughs> That's not all that normal for Corey G. No, Corey doing it in the door truck. Um, obviously, a talented young man, no matter what he's letting go of the button in, but um, showing that he's not a one-trick pony for sure. Uh, really cool. He and uh, he and his uh, sweetheart, Miss Caroline McCarty, almost did something really special there uh, as she went late in the rounds. I think she eliminated him in the warm-up race the day before and, and almost got it done, so – they, uh, they are both of them performing extremely well, but Corey turning on that last wind light in a, in a sea of talent just, again, solidifies his spot in racing. That's a, that's a talented young man. No question. Uh, among the best, like I think safe to say top 10, I think most would have him in top five right now, regardless of what he's in. And he is the one of several faces, if you will, of that young guns category that the, I don't even think it's fair to say Corey Galletti is an up-and-comer at this point. Like he's he's been here for a while now, but simply by <laughs> yeah. by birth certificate or the, the date on the driver's license, he definitely falls into that category of the younger generation that is at the very least making a lot of noise. Perhaps you would even say dominating our sport today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, look, that's that's uh, obviously a, a major topic of discussion right now. You know, the the young racers are they great, or the the older racers better? And you know, we'll we'll have some discussion that that kind of talks a little bit about uh, old times versus new times here in a little while. But these young racers are intimidating. You know, they they certainly can strike the fear in you from a standpoint that they have great equipment, great ability, and a lot of tools in the bag. So the young up-and-comers in racing have uh, have definitely shown that they belong. I know what Scotty said, and I know um, what a lot of people have said in, in backing his statement. And I won't disagree that they're not at his level nor is basically any other human in racing, but that group is very talented and they continue to, to do what they do. And they're going to continue to show that they belong with, with anybody anywhere. Well, I feel like it's interesting because obviously this old guys versus young guns discussion or however you want to frame that, like that wasn't centered around Corey Galletti, but I think, at least in my mind, Jed, Corey is more the rule than the exception in terms of that young guns group, like a talented, humble, 
up and comer, if you will, like I say, that, that's, I use that term loosely because obviously Corey, like several others, very established at this point. And I guess that's what confuses me a little bit about this recent vitriol, if you will, toward the younger generation. Like I think of Corey, I think of racers like Donovan Williams, Brett Williams, and Gage Birch. And you could probably go down the list, like at least in my mind, those guys are all cut from a similar cloth. Like, not to say that there is not ego involved at, at any level. Like, I am, I am one. Like, I am a believer that if you are going to have success at the highest levels of this sport, you don't do that unless you pull into the water thinking you are the baddest dude on the property, and like firmly actually believe that. Like, I just don't think you can have one without the other. Now, we are as we. As we all know, like there are some racers that verbalize that in in ways that others don't. But I think deep down to have that success, like you have to truly believe that. So I don't I don't think anybody wins without believing that they're awesome. So I say that like not necessarily defending the young guns as much as I'm just making an, an observation. Like they don't outwardly portray that. Any of the guys that I just mentioned, and you could probably go on down the list, right? So it's just surprising to me that this specific bunch of young racers like seems to be the target of this angst, because while I'm not in it like every single day running these races, like I don't get the impression that any of these guys are sticking their chest out, you know? So and, and Corey being the, the ringleader of that, he seems like the very humble, unassuming bad dude. Yeah, I, I agree with that thought wholeheartedly, um, you know what makes you feel like a, a, a badass when you pull up to the starting line is how many times you really were one in prior rounds and races. And all of these racers, Cole Pritchett saying it online very well, you know, a lot of these kids that, that are in the, the big cars now have 10 years of experience. So, you know, that they take some of the tricks they've learned in the juniors and they bring them to the big car racing, they hone those skills and they just continue to get better and be more competitive. And, you know, the reason they feel so confident is because they have accomplished a lot, usually by the time they're 20 years old and the list of racers that you, you listed there definitely have done that and will continue to do that. So it's a different time. Again, there's some more discussion about that coming up, but, uh, I think a lot of that uh, prior um, history and prior experience at starting at such a much a young age, at so much more of a young age, really leads to a lot of the, you know, the confidence. I, I, again, I don't, I don't think anybody's really got their chest poked out saying I'm the best there is, but they're really confident as they should be. Look, the, the one thing that, that I want to say before we wrap this part of the discussion up is Corey Galetti is a young gun he's he's one of the guys that that fall in the group that's um, that's somewhat targeted here uh, I know there is a specific target due to the way that um, they approach the staging process but pretty much the young guns all know who they are and they fall into a, a, a fairly tight circle what's the conversation when Chris Galetti kind of lashes out at one of the young guns, but the young guns are buddies with, with Corey. They, I mean, what do they say? Like, dude, you're old man. What was he crazy or something? But, I mean, we know Chris is <laughs> well, fun and I mean, crazy fun, but, <laughs> but that's I mean, kind of a rhetorical discussion? question, right? If you know, Chris, um, <laughs> no, I thought about that too. 
because you know the 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 source of of all of the the drama a week ago was Chris Glitty and Gage Birch, and at least to my knowledge, like Gage and Corey are close. I will say this though, like, and I honestly, I I, I talked about in our last episode how little attention I pay to the the amount of time between the burnout and pre-stage. Like it, it's just not one of those things that registers to me. Well, I started paying a little bit more attention last week at the million after all that. I'm like, is this really a thing? And I, I think across the board, there is some credence to the idea that as, as my good friend, Nick Folk says, if you're born after 1995, you just can't stage. Like you're just not capable of it. Like, like they, the, the majority of the undercrowd does take a little bit longer, right? No, no issue with that. There's one exception to that. One glaring exception to that. And that's Corey Galletti. Corey Galletti does not F around. Corey Galletti is pre-staged <laughs> and waiting on you, period, right? And, and so I can't help but think if there is truly angst from Chris Galletti about that time, like there have been conversations had over the years between Chris and Corey and be like, you're not doing that. Like we, we're, when, when we read the burnout, we're ready to race because Corey is uh, older generation, younger generation, like he's ready, period. Um, there, there's no, there's no wasted time or effort in his routine at all. I did that did jump out to me after that situation. Yeah, it's a great point. I could see that. I could see the fact that Chris is say, you know, this is how we're, we're going to handle things. This is how we're going to do things. And, you know, I can also see Corey at this stage saying, dad, please don't dry hop a hundred feet out after, <laughs> you know, my friends are pulling up there again. I mean, can you just, can we just talk to them, you know, in the pits or something? Please don't do that. <laughs> to, to your earlier point, Jed, and, and to the point that Cole, Cole Pritchett just shared um, here on the live show, we talked about this a little bit before, but the the level of experience, and it's not just the years of experience that these young guns have when they enter our world, so to speak, you know, in big dollar bracket racing or NHRA racing or what have you. Like, I've tried to, to um, do my best to verbalize this in recent years as I've become a little bit closer to the junior dragster community. This is not what it was 30 years ago when I was like, at, at, when I ran junior directors, juniors were cute. Like that was a nice thing for the kids to do during the day while the parents were racing. Like, ah, oh, that's cool. Like they got little lawnmower motors, they're racing. That is not junior director racing at the highest level today. It is cutthroat. It is extremely competitive. The packages that we see at those, you know, whether it's big dollar or some of the traveling series junior races are very similar to the packages that we see in eighth mile bracket racing. Um, it is very much a stepping stone, a training ground for racing and um, competing earnestly at the highest levels, as we've seen throughout this season and recent years with so many graduates having immediate success at the big dollar or the NHRA level. 100% spot on um, that that racing at the, you know, at the age of 13 to 17, 13, 18 has really gotten so much tighter the equipment's better the racers play the games uh, you know and i don't mean that uh, derogatory I, i'm just saying the the use the all the tactics that they can use all the strategies they can use and um you know they're honing their talent loop and they're bringing that talent to the next level and it's showing uh, there's there's so many that have made an impact already in big car racing and there's a ton more that's about to. Uh, that's a talented, talented field. 
in the junior dragster ranks, especially at the age where they're starting to transition. Let's shift gears to a little bit of NHRA talk. You know, I like to nerd out. I'm going to nerd out a little bit, points-wise. The NHRA point obviously, we're about to turn the calendar to October, so it's heating up essentially across the board. This past weekend had a double divisional in Tulsa, a national event in Charlotte. Now, the results from those events, they didn't provide any monumental swings in the championship chase, really, in, in, in any category. But there were a few notable racers, a few former champions, Big Jed, who maybe weren't on the radar coming into the weekend that are now at least on the radar. And that starts with your Alabama boy, Big Jed. I know he can hit a golf ball into the state of Mississippi, but he resides in the state of Alabama. One Jeff Strickland. It was a couple of weeks ago we talked about how Jeff was a dark horse in the top dragster category. Now, to be honest, since that discussion, those hopes have gotten slimmer. In fact, I think it's fair to say the hopes of everyone not named Clint Geisy have gotten slimmer in top traction. We'll touch a little bit more on that later. But Jeff runs a second category that he's also won a world championship in, in the past. And that's Stock Eliminator. And we haven't talked much about the Stock Eliminator points chase because it's kind of been assumed for several months now that Kyle Rizzoli is going to be your 2023 world champion. And he probably will be. But what Strick is doing is notable. He won the national event in Charlotte last weekend. That is his third national event win of the season in Stock Eliminator. If you're not familiar with the NHRA points chase, you get to claim your best three out of your first six. So that means that Jeff Strickland is now perfect on the national event side of his ledger. Oh, by the way, it only is fifth national event. That was his third win. In route to that, he improved a semi-final finish. He semi-finaled at the U.S. Nationals, and that will not count towards his points because he's got three races better than that. They are three wins in Stock Eliminator. Now, that win runs his score to 611 points, which is a massive score. It's still 55 points behind the score of Kyle Rizzoli. And to be honest, while Strickland has three divisional events remaining and he's improving a couple of third round losses so there is room to improve like on paper if Jeff Strickland were to win his next division race he would be tied with Kyle Rizzoli that said Riz still in the driver's seat he still has five races remaining at which he could earn points he's improving a second round loss and a third round loss I believe he's been in six final rounds he's probably going to be the world champion but if you just want to root for someone else Strick is a contender. He's in, he's in the conversation for stock, the Stock Eliminator World Championship, and I wasn't sure we'd say that about anyone two months ago. Roll Tide. Um, obviously, uh, my homeboy from Alabama, from Red Bay, Alabama, as you said, he can hit a golf ball into Mississippi. I, I don't know if that's a testament to how far he can hit a golf ball or how close he is to Mississippi, but either way, okay. it's a pretty good shot, and uh, Red Bay's about the size of my laptop, so – you know, small town Alabama guy out there getting it done, driving Victor Cagnazzi's uh, Copo Camaro. You know, it's the best equipment you can get. It's fast. It's fun. But Jeff's driving the wheels off of that stocker uh, has always been great at the hand-eye coordination it takes to bottom bulb race. He's always been a very talented bottom bulb racer, even in the bracket scene when he has gotten to do that over the years. Although those days, uh, have been uh, have been behind him for quite some time. Hopefully, he gets back to it at some point. But um, 
you know, definitely not the guy Riz wants to see getting hot and making runs. Great funding. He knows they'll get to the races they need to get to to make a run at it. It's great equipment and a lot of talent in the driver's seat. But as you said, Kyle Rizzoli, uh, due to his early season heroics in the stock eliminator category, Luke, this guy set himself up to be a, a world champion in the stock category. And he is definitely sitting in the driver's seat and, you know, with so much still left on the table that he can accomplish uh, from a point standpoint, you have to give him the nod, but certainly uh, happy to see my man uh, a little strict taking a run at it. Another former world champion that went from off the radar to on the radar over the weekend, about two time back to back super comp world champion, Christopher Dodd. Christopher won the first leg of the double divisional in Tulsa. He flirted with running the table. I believe he made it to the quarterfinals in the second race. And I said it a week ago, and honestly, I'll stand by it. The Super Gump taste is, the word I used was full of gold. For anyone else that, that, that thinks that they can win the Super Gump chase, other than Donald Bush Jr. and Devin Eisenhower, I think it's still likely to be one of those two. But with God's win, he is now 150 points back of John LaVouche. That seems like a big number. He gets full points at his next national event. So let's say that he wins that. Now he's only 45 points back. Plus, he's improving first a first round loss at his next divisional. I think more, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, project a little bit here moving forward. I think what may be more impactful than the number of races that Christopher Dodd has left is where they're going to happen. The schedule comes to him. We've got Back-to-back weekends in St. Louis, national event this weekend, double divisional the following week. That is a facility that Christopher Dodd has, for lack of a better term, dominated in recent seasons. And then the schedule moves from there to Dallas, where he has had tremendous success, won multiple national events. It's a bit of a long shot, but it would surprise no one if Christopher Dodd held two wallies over the course of the next three weeks. And if he does that, he is very much in that hemisphere with John LaBruce Jr., with Devin Eisenhower, with anybody else that makes a run at the Super Comp title. Yeah, definitely wouldn't surprise anybody, Luke. Obviously, there's a there's a, a lot of talent at the top of that category and, and some guys that uh, are capable of making a run. Um, LaBruce, you know, having that 150-point cushion, but Dodd is a guy that seemingly gets hot this time every year. Uh, he's you know, he's a, a streaky kind of guy. He he certainly gets on a roll and gets hard to handle. Uh, I watched, I looked at some of his runs from from the event and, uh, you know, just a, a guy that's really solid. You you can pretty much count on when he's in the other lane that he's going to, to make you beat him. He's not going to beat himself. And, you know, although a lot of racers fit that uh, category, this guy just is not the one you want to see over there. And he's not the one you want to see chasing you down either uh, he's he's just that good and that talented but uh, still still feel like um you know labuse obviously feeling real good got to be feeling good and, and in the driver's seat here for a, a possible world championship in the super comp category christopher dodd black and decker tree record like i've said it here before if you had to rank like the starting line acumen of sportsman racers across the country, I'd have a hard time not putting him number one. He just doesn't miss it. In a class where you don't get the bump down, like, you know what I mean? Like, he just wrecks it. Yeah. Like, 
He's got a good program all the way around, but but the starting line is by far the strength. It's it's pretty incredible. And if he keeps that pace, like look out. Um, one other former champion, multi-time, another multi-time champion, just like Jeff Strickland, just like Christopher Dodd, that didn't make a ton of noise last week in Tulsa, but just kind of appeared back on the radio radar by being there. And as someone that was there watching, Kevin Helms got my attention, Big Jet. He didn't win. He didn't make a final. I think he lost fourth round in one race, third, third round in the other. He beat every bad dude there in the most impressive fashion possible. Dude let go double O just about every time he staged. I don't know why or what the premise was, but he was holding a year and driving lights out at the finish line. Like I say, it didn't work out. He lost third round, fourth round. He gained a little bit of ground in the chase. He's a bit of an outlier on the national um, um, title contention radar, but he's very much in the mix. Uh, Tyler Cahilly, Wyatt Wagner, Brad Burton, still in the best position. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago. Kevin Helms, Monty Bogan, Byron Werner, Peter Hidalgo, Kyle Rizzoli, all in the mix. And like we've been saying for six months now, like Superstock is going to be entertaining because not only do a bunch of racers have a legitimate shot at the title, I just rattled off some names and you're familiar with all of them. Like it is a who's who of Superstock Eliminator in 2023 that's going to be duking this out. Um, Kevin Helms, definitely. Four world championships can't be wrong, Big Jet. If you're talking who's who, you're going to include Kevin Helms. Well, you know, I've been in love with with Kevin Helms and his ability for quite some time. Obviously, he was he was this competitive, uh, you know, with extra pedal in the car and swapping gears. And now, you know, he's in the same type of equipment that everybody else is in. And, you know, he's showing that he's just so darn good, even after a layoff of sorts, Luke. So, Kevin Helms is uh, is just a perennial power in the in the category, and it's great to see him out here competing again. And when you look at that list that you just talked about, you know, Kahili and uh, Bogan and Warner and Cooter and Riaz and Wagner, it's it's a much different list than we saw last year. Last year's list was star studded and and so talented, and you think it really just couldn't be that good again. And here we are again, the next, you know, the following season, a whole different list of competitors in the mix, but just as fun to watch and just as competitive. This category is so much fun and it's so loaded with talent. Um, really looking forward to, to hearing your breakdown as these races continue to narrow down the championship and these great competitors go out and give it everything they got. This is gonna be a blast. There has been significant turnover in that list from a year ago to today, with one exception, Big Red, and it's the youngest name on the list. Wyatt Wagner has gone down to the wire. This will be the second year in a row at, what's Wyatt, 20, 21? The future is bright. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know how old he was. I, I saw the picture, you know, a couple of weeks ago or three weeks or so ago when it was posted. He did look very young, so way younger than his car. Good point. <laughs> one other, one other potential contender that I wanted to discuss, and unlike the three names that we just mentioned, Trevor Larson has not yet earned a national championship. He's positioned himself perhaps to make a serious run at his first in Super Gas, because Super Gas, the, the the class that we said was over six months ago, and similar to what was said about Kyle Rizzoli. It's probably over, but 
we talked about Austin Williams last week and how he's he's got a shot, right? If, if things fall into place, Austin could make a run at Sherman Adcock's score. Um, we said that Austin had to win his last divisional race and presumably it would be in Tulsa. It was not. Austin did not make it to Tulsa. Zooming out, that was probably a wise decision. Tulsa, at least in race one, was just a five-round race. Not only does Austin need to win his next divisional, he needs it to be six rounds, seven rounds, maybe even eight rounds. Would all be beneficial. It's probably a wise choice to sit that one out and save it for later. Trevor Larson did show up in Tulsa. And while he didn't have success in race one, he held the trophy at the end of race two. Now, Trevor Larson had no intentions of running Supergas this season. He hopped in his buddy Chris S's car, I believe at the Topeka Double, was the first time he staged for Supergas this year. That's in July. In the time since, he has amassed a score that will that has basically clinched the Division Five championship, okay? highlighted by this win last weekend. He's got two national events remaining at which he can earn full points. So I don't know if Trevor's ready to get on the road. I assume he's entered in St. Louis this weekend. I actually didn't look. I assume he's going to Dallas because I assume he's in the All-Stars. He's not. He's proven in the past he's not afraid of making the trip to Vegas and Pomona. So I think everything could be on the table for him. Um, if he were to win two national events, he'd pass Sherman Adcock. And he could still improve on the divisional side as well. Now. I mentioned before, in contrast to the three names we just mentioned, Trevor Larson has not yet won an NHRA World Championship, but he did put up one of the highest second place totals in the history of the sport. Put up 688 points in Supergas in 2014. Just for reference, Sherman Adcock now has 678 points. And now, after Charlotte, Sherm's done after winning five of his first six events to start the season on absolute fire, Sherman has um, struggled, I guess would be a fair way to say it. He's advanced to round four just once in his final eight points earning events where we thought the door would be slammed shut. I'm not going to say it's open, but it's cracked for someone like a Trevor Larson, someone like Austin Williams to get hot and perhaps do the unthinkable, or at least what we thought was unthinkable three, four, five months ago. Sherman Adcock's probably going to be your world champion, Big Jed, but it is not the foregone conclusion that it once was. You're still muted, Jed. We'll take turns with that today. Yeah, how about that? There was a time here where we were talking about um, Sherman possibly having the highest point total in sportsman racing history. And now it's uh, it's certainly not a not a meager number. It's not a not a small number, but it pales in comparison to what we saw the potential. So, you know, it's a it's it's definitely not a, a comfortable number for him to say somebody's got to do something absolutely incredible, phenomenal to run me down. Obviously, winning your your last two nationals and scoring on the divisional level at a high enough pace to accomplish surpassing his number is a is a very strong accomplishment but it's not something that would be unbelievable so larson has it you know in his crosshairs and has an opportunity and that's not where sherman wants to be sitting right now certainly uh uh probably a disappointing performance for him down the stretch after getting started so hot so you know 
I hate to I hate to see the Super Gas Championship have any drama remaining in it. I really wanted that to be Sherman's and be on lockdown. He's certainly still in a great spot, a spot that Edgy told him in February, this is where you're going to be uh, at the end of September. He would have said, I'll take it. But he certainly would not have chosen the path that he's taken to get there, you know, be so hot early, talking about potential record numbers and then land in a, you know, a, a solid spot, but not an unbeatable spot. So going to be fun to watch, unfortunately. I hate that for Sherman, but, you know, I guess there needed to be a little bit of drama left in the category loop. To be clear, you only get to claim eight races. Sherman won five. You win five out of eight. <laughs> that should win the world championship. It just doesn't sound as good as winning five out of six. And that's how we started, right? So we thought that this would be a runaway or be over. Yeah. He's probably going to win the championship, but it's almost October and it's not over. While Sherman Adcock didn't have a great weekend, he fell early at Charlotte and then he watched Trevor Larson win at Tulsa. You know who did have a great weekend, Big Jim? How about our man, yeah. friend of the podcast, Clint Geisy? And you know what Clint Geisy did last weekend? What did he do, Luke? Well, I don't know either, Big Jed. I don't think he went racing, but that didn't matter because <laughs> Vince Mussolino, Jeff Strickland, Blake Peevler, they all did go racing, and they didn't improve their scores significantly. So it's looking even better for Clint Geisey. The one uh, fringe contender for the top dragster world championship that did have success over the weekend was our boy Chad Axford. Axford drove to the final round of race one at Tulsa, where he's runner-up to Dane Ward. His score is excellent. But it's going to be hard to match Clint Dicey. And, and that's what all of these guys are up against. The dude's got four victories, and two of them were six-round races. And there's just not many six-round races available in top dragster like we talked about before. So Dicey definitely even more firmly in the driver's seat now than he was a week ago. Brandon Miller on the top sportsman side, the other fast bracket. He's been sitting atop the top sportsman ranks for quite a while now he's kind of we kind of penciled him in as the title favorite probably really since he started the season with three consecutive wins he went three rounds in charlotte he got down to eight cars he's in great position in top sportsman but he certainly has yet to put it out of reach right um he's entered in dallas that's going to be his last national event presumably he'll pick up the double points meet in st louis on his way there he'll get his final two division races there um, he's in great position. I'll be honest, over the weekend, after running the table in Tulsa, Mike Moorhead, Big Jed, Mike Moorhead is now probably the biggest threat to Brandon Miller for the top sportsman championship. Uh, Moorhead, again, back-to-back -back wins in Tulsa over the weekend, beat Bob Galitti in the final of both races, by the way. Um, Moorhead has two nationals, two divisionals remaining. He's improving early losses at both. He sits just 45 points back of the score that Brandon Miller has right now. Uh, so Mike Moore, probably the biggest threat to Brandon Miller. Uh, Brian Moore is in the mix. Jimmy Lewis is in the mix. A couple others could also make it interesting in top sportsmen. But kudos to Mike Moorhead around the table in Tulsa. I don't think if you had asked Brandon Miller a week ago who he's most concerned about, I don't think Mike Moorhead would have been near the top of the list. He is now. Yeah, great to see Mike Moorhead performing so well. Um, you know, it's a, it's a guy that is one of us. He's a bracket racer uh, at heart and has done a ton of that over the years. Really got the bug to go fast here a few years ago and has really stepped his program up. And what a wonderful, wonderful performance for him uh, getting both of those wins in Tulsa. 
really cool to see. He's got an awesome family and just a really cool down earth guy. So I was happy to see that. I was keeping up with those results the best I could. And saw that, uh, you know, Brandon Miller did what he did and thought, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's got him in great shape. And then Moorhead winning those two races. I wasn't real sure what that did in terms of points, but you're breaking it down for us and, and giving us the, the skinny on it that, uh, that leaves him with an opportunity. So great to see Moorhead getting an opportunity. He's got a tough competitor in front of him, somebody that's going to be real hard to beat. But I think at the end of the day, all you want is a chance, Luke, and, and great to see Double M give himself that. So you're telling me there's a chance. Ah, you, you started out muted there. I couldn't hear you. Yeah. Well, yeah I, every time I get a good zinger, my microphone is not <laughs> – I don't even want to repeat it. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't fit now. It is the timing is everything. Of this stuff, you know. It is. I agree. Okay. Well, this weekend, national event in St. Louis, Division One finale in Virginia. So we'll have a little bit more clarity um, next weekend. Brings the double in St. Louis. That's a big points race, middle of the country. A lot of people converge on it. So this muddled picture will get clearer soon. In addition. Next week, we'll be looking back on Falkland, Bristol. I'm sure that that will bring its own set of storylines. There will be more tickets punched at the Division 7 ET Finals out in Las Vegas. We'll get to hit on that as well. Big Jed, this week's show, we're a little bit light. Like That's pretty much all of the the on-track content that we had from a, a relatively quiet weekend of racing. But that opens us up for a discussion that We've wanted to have for the better part of two months, I think, Jed, and and just the 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 sheer content of race results and drama and stories within our sport just didn't didn't allow us to make this a, the priority that we wanted to. We're going to go back again a couple of months ago. This this started on the Spring Fling Bracket Races Facebook page, and the question was something to the effect of, "Is it harder to win today?" than it was 5, 10, 20 years ago. And if you've followed along with that at all, like I actually, I made a comment on the Facebook post that seemed to get a lot of traction. I actually thought so much about this that I dedicated my most recent um, Science of Winning column in National Dragster to this topic, right? So, so my thoughts are kind of out there, right? But just to sum it up briefly, my basic argument here, Jed, is that Obviously, the numbers, the packages are tighter today than they were five years ago, much less 10, 20 years ago. But my argument is that that's because it's easier to make good runs today than it's ever been for a wide variety of reasons. Like, obviously, we've got better equipment, better technology pretty much across the board. Um, I feel like the technology around bracket racing has elevated significantly since you and I started doing it, right? There are so many um, businesses and manufacturers now that make their living based around products for what we do in sportsman drag racing, from torque converters to carburetors to tires to on down the line, everything's better. But that's just like the tip of the iceberg in terms of when you really zoom out and think about it, racetracks are better, track prep is better, the timing systems, I think by and large, it's fair to say are better, but also just like more racer friendly. You think back to when you and I started racing, Jed, we didn't have LED bulbs. You had to compensate at nighttime. We didn't have crosstalk. You had to look across the, well, when I started racing, you had to punch the dial-ins into a calculator, right? 
and then look across at your opponent's ball. Remember to do that. It wasn't always facing the same way. We didn't have auto start. Like I had Larry Croft sitting in the tower, gnawing on a cigarette, talking to somebody about running the race, announcing, hitting the enter on the screen once we staged. And he was like a good starter. Right. Like, I mean, everybody said he does a really good job. He had a million things going on. There's no way that the tree fired at the same time like we take for granted today. Everything on down the line, like it's made it not easier to win, but it has made it easier for all of us to make good competitive runs. So it should be no surprise that the packages are tighter. My kind of takeaway is like, yes, it's difficult to win today. I'm not arguing that it is hard. But it was hard 10 years ago. It was hard 20 years ago because you just don't know what you don't know. If we could take all of the information and the technology that we have today and go back 20 years, well, hell yeah, it'd be easy. But we didn't have any of that back then. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to tee you up now because I think the way that you present yourself, Big Jed, is like, oh, Big Jed, he's the talking head. He's the fun guy. Like, obviously you're still very capable given your recent success at the racetrack. But I don't think the average listener realizes that it wasn't, we're not that far removed, Big Jet. It wasn't long ago. And I don't mean to just blow smoke. Like there was a time not long ago when I think it's fair to say that you were considered one of, if not the best foot brake racer in the country, right? Like you play that off. You've got the aw shucks, the humble mentality, like, you've lived this at a very, very high level. Like life has, has provided other priorities now. And, and you just humbly shake that off. It's like, ah, I'm just not competitive the way that I used to be. But you understand what it takes to win at this level today, 10 years ago, 20 years ago on back. So I'm curious to hear your take. Is it harder now than it's ever been? Luke, I started in 1984. By the way, thank you for the the very kind words. Um, you know, there was a time in my life when I felt like I was uh, in the elite uh, part of the class, uh, the foot rate class, and I felt like I could compete with anyone. But um, that's not who I am today. But you know, it is what it is, and uh, and I still enjoy competing and giving them everything I got. Which brings me to the point of why I would say, yes, racing today is much harder to win. You know, I think really when you when you break it down by decade, when I started from the 80s to now. In the 80s, the crowds were very large, even on a regular Saturday night, very large. You know, there'd be 125 cars in the in the street class, what we called it. So. You know, the, the percentage of the field that could win was very small. And when I say could win, everybody could win. We know that. But the, the pick that you were going to make, that, that percentage of that 125-car field was, you know, really 10 15% in the 80s. Then you get to the 90s, and they're a little better. It gets to, to 20%. And fast forward to now, in the 2020s, it's 75%. You know, the racers that can't win aren't really doing this anymore, Luke. It's gotten so expensive and so difficult and so challenging and so tricky that those racers don't typically continue to pump money into the, the sport and cars and, and trailers and trucks and those things, certainly entry fees. So, yeah, I would say it's much harder to win now because the percentage of the field that's capable of turning on the last wind light has increased immensely from the time I started till now. And 
I take a different mentality to the starting line today than I ever have. Today, I really honestly go to the starting line, no matter who I'm running, and feel like I have to be at my absolute best to, to turn on the wind light. There was a time in my life when I could back off the converter a little bit, Luke. I could, I could, you know, hold the dial up. I could hold a few more numbers just to make sure I was safe. And all of those things that gave me a little more comfort. Today, that comfort's not there no matter who's in the other lane. You, you know, I really feel like I have to go to the starting line, even on the local level, and be the absolute best that I can be. And I think that's just a testament to how difficult it is to turn on wind lights consistently in this sport these days with the great talent, the great equipment, and certainly all the things that you said, tracks are better, time and equipment's better, you know, the, the consistency and the time and equipment that, that allows racers to get in a groove and a routine. And, you know, when I started racing, you had to make sure you had the absolute best tires you could put on your car because your tires did all the work, all the air pressure adjustments and the burnouts and all those things. Your tires were doing the work. Now we've evolved to today where your chassis and your shocks are doing the work. Your tires are very important, obviously, but they're a, they're a much smaller component to the whole hook and go consistency that you need in your race car to be competitive. So there's so much evolution in the sport in terms of equipment and uh, available resources like this is bracket racing, you know, I mean, all of those things have just made people better. And the ones that are still continuing to show up are capable of winning for the most part, at least three out of four of them are. And, you know, that's to me, this just made it much more difficult these days. You've got some great points. And I'll, I'll start off my, my retort to you by agreeing. And then I'm going to have some pushback. Ready? All right. So <clears throat> is there more parity across the board? Are there more racers capable of winning than at any point? in our racing crew. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have a hard time agreeing with that. I think back, this is actually before I took the wheel, but when we first moved to Texas, right. And I, I live three miles from Texas raceway. So we moved there. I was eight years old and I remember going to the racetrack for two years and at four cars left in super pro out of a hundred plus to, to your point at four cars left, damn near every week it was going to be old man heffler old man richardson old man paul jimmy paul's daddy chuck charles and somebody else like those three you could pretty much pencil it in like they were going to be there they were head and shoulders they were just way advanced way better than everybody else so was it the rest of the field easier to beat than the rest of the field today? Yeah, probably, right? But the question posed wasn't, is it easier to get to fourth or fifth round today than it was 20 years ago? The question was, is it easier to win? Is it harder to win? And I'm just telling you, when you got down to four cars with those guys, good luck. They were so far ahead of everyone else. And if you look at it from that perspective, like, because 
once I started racing, to your earlier point, like it widened a little bit. There was probably 20 racers and that you could pick from that would be three of the four semifinalists, you know, and now it's broader yet. But my point here is coming into it at that point as somebody new, without the experience, maybe without the best equipment, it was damn near impossible to get to that level. Today, you come in as someone new. And it's not even necessarily a money thing. The technology has trickled down. Like the, the availability to have good, consistent race cars and basically a store-bought combination. Like 20 years ago, you had to figure this stuff out. And that's where the Richardsons, the Hefflers had this amazing advantage because they raced all the time. They knew, they figured out what worked and what didn't, not to mention just the strategic advantage, how much they thought about it, right? Today, all of that is available. And I do think that it makes it much easier for a more novice, if you will, less experienced racer to be more immediately competitive. Like I do think your racer with two years experience on a budget is more capable of winning a five grand or 10 grand or 50 grand or today than 10 or 20 years ago. Is, the, is it harder to get there every step of the way, each step of the, from the early rounds on? Perhaps. But I don't think that that racer had a chance 20 years ago, and they do today. That's one of the reasons that, that I don't like you very much, Luke, is because you, you bring that kind of intelligence to the discussion. And I, I don't like that. I like to dumb things down where I can compete with you. But that was very well put, and it makes a, a ton of sense. I guess I would debate that that group of four that you mentioned every week, they were just better than everybody else. No question. And, and, and they were I, in cruise I, control until they got there. Well, perhaps. perhaps. That's not where we are. That's not where we are today. It's, it's very few racers that just consider themselves or can't consider themselves better than everybody else. So I, I totally understand your point and it's, it's valid points. It's very solid uh, discussion, but, you know, to me, I can only base this on, on my approach. You know, I'm 52 now instead of 22. So it, it's, you know, my, my, my ability to, to consistently go out there and do what I want to do in a race car just doesn't, it doesn't happen. It doesn't show to be something that I'm great at on a very consistent basis. But I even say today, even when I'm getting my head caved in, I'm still making good runs, you know, 15 and, and, you know, one above zero is a solid run, but that that's got about a 50, 50 shot of winning on a local level and probably about a 38 to 62 shot of winning on a, on the big buck level. So it, it's, it's just so challenging out there. And I think the mental, aspect of it is so much more difficult which puts that extra pressure on you in the car but you know i was 1984 i was 13 years old luke i was racing with grown-ass men and i have never been more intimidated in my life than i was racing the guys that i had spent you know those previous years five six years watching them every saturday night just dominate and now i'm staged up beside them that was very intimidating. And, you know, those, those racers were just better than everybody else. And it was, 
and it took me three years to win a race. I was 16 before I won a race. So I can totally understand your points about, is it harder to win? It, it may be, it may be a little harder to get there, but easier to win. So you got some real good, real good points that you made, but for me personally today for, for big Jed, it's just harder to win. I just won my first race of 2023 Saturday night late. And I don't go like I used to, but I don't sit at the house a whole bunch either. This crap's hard. It's real hard. And if you're not on your game, you're going to get exposed. The, the concession that I will make. You're muted. I'll get you back here. Got like a delay. Am I back now? I hit under. Well, it's, it says you're still muted on your screen, but you're you're coming through. That's interesting. I like it. Yeah, I hit unmute. I got like five seconds, so I, I need to I need to predict when you're going to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and now I've completely lost. Yeah, countdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So the one concession <laughs> that that I will allow to to your argument, Jed, is I distinctly remember a time. It doesn't feel like that long ago where with little exception, if I made the run that I wanted to make, the run that I intended to make, my win light came on, like way more often than not. And when I lost, I could go back and say, okay, I screwed up here, there, there. This is where I need to get better for next week. Now, I'm not above screwing up, right? Like that, that happens to everybody. But now I would say probably more often than not, I come back with the losing ticket and kind of shrug my shoulders and go, damn, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And he still kicked my ass. That does happen a lot more than it used to, right? And I think that we would all agree with that. So from that standpoint, I definitely do understand where you're coming from. Um, I did have a counterpoint. Now I've, I've lost complete train of thought. The muting things got me all messed up. But. Yeah, that really messed you up. Oh, here was my counterpoint. Scotty would be a bad example because Scotty continues to make it look easy, right? But I think you've got a valid point in that for Scotty Richardson, John LaBouche Jr., Peter Biondo, Jeff Strickland, I think those guys would all agree it is harder for me to win than it was 20 years ago, right? Because the rest of the field has, has caught up at least to some extent. Those guys are still the best are still the best, right? My, I guess my counter argument is that for Joe Average, I'd almost argue that they're more likely to win today than they were 20 years ago. And I think both could be, both could be true. Excellent point. And, and for that, I think you're swaying me to your side. I know that, uh, that, that we were supposed to play cops and robbers a little bit here, but, uh, but I, I definitely feel like um, your, your point is valid in terms of, I, I, I even brought that up that now I think 75% of the field can win. And the, the increase in the percentage, if you take those racers, they were not the dominant racers that, that have been doing this winning at a, at a high clip for two decades. You know, they've kind of come out of nowhere because the equipment is so much better and technology is so much better. So I think that, that, uh, you know, validates your point a little better than it does my own in terms of, um, you know, how many people are capable of turning on that last wind light. And that, that might possibly sway me to the easier side, but for me personally, it's harder, but I think in general, 
it could be a little easier now that you say that. As we as we close, as we wrap up, I just I don't think I've seen all of the the is there a trick to seeing the comments live on Facebook? Like I see the last five and I can't see anything more than that. So if I'm not constantly keeping up with it, they they get lost in the shuffle. I hadn't figured out how to pull that up. But I saw two that stuck out to me. Trevor Arkema. Trevor, thanks for listening. We're back to the Christopher Dodd discussion. He said he thinks a miss for Christopher is 13. I think that's a bad yeah, that was good. I think that's like the yeah, that was that was good. I, I want to say another talented Trevor uh, has chimed in there. That <laughs> was good stuff. Christopher actually came to me in Tulsa last week, and for whatever reason, Tulsa was very, very loose. Like I had two two hundreds out from typical. And Christopher comes to me after time trials, and he's like, "Hey, do you have like a lot out of the box?" I'm like, "Dude, you're Christopher Dodd. You made two time trials. Like whatever you were, pull it out." Well, that, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, don't don't even ask me. Just pull it. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna say worked out. <laughs> Good advice. And then another one. How about uh Jessica Spears chimed in and said, Can we get a shootout at one of the big dollar races on incandescent bulbs? Do you think we'd re- do, do, would you remember how to do it? Like there was so much nuance to the incandescent bulbs. So much stuff that we take for granted today. Well, it was uh, it was a timing thing, but it certainly is what led me to deep staging, you know, in the late 90s um, incandescent bulbs. And then when it changed, I was like, holy crap, I'll be able to shallow stage now. What 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 I didn't realize was that I sucked and I still had a deep stage. But, um, you know, the incandescent bulbs were certainly a different animal. If we're going to do that, Jessica, which I love the idea we might as well drag the old five amber tree out that I started on. And uh, let's, let's make this, you know, if we're going old school, let's go old school. Cause Luke, I used to, I used to have a, I, I drove a 1260 car went 1260s in the eighth and I'd, I'd bump it in shallow stage. I'd, I'd layer on the mat. Mm-hmm. So just, just for reference, for those of you listening on the podcast feed, you are not getting the full effect here. The live with yeah. the video right now. Go ahead, Jed. I didn't mean to interrupt. This yeah. is this no, is no, it. you're all good. So and hmm, you bow up like this, and then one, two, three, four, and you is letting go on five. If you saw five or said five before that foot come off the brake pedal, it, it, you were in trouble. You were in bad trouble. And you know, I was trying to be five. 70 i was trying to be 550 trying to be five anything just because that was going to give me a chance you know i'd already made my six time runs had an idea of the you know the tent within the tent of my what my car was going to run so so i just i just let her go there on number five and uh yeah obviously it was a different time but i'd love to go back to that and give it another shot the incandescent balls man like i I, I'm a top ball braced on incandescent. I obviously foot braked as well, but top ball on incandescent. Like, I, I'm curious if we have the if we're to go back today and have the knowledge that we have now. Like, I'm curious how how much it would overlay what I thought I was doing in the past. But I distinctly remember, like, today daylight to dark. Most racers have no difference, or even have to pull a little bit of delay at night. Daylight to dark on incandescence was like a 15,000 swing, right? And you would have to play with like the cloud cover come over and you'd roll in a hundred. You know what I mean? Like you just see it so much better. Yes. Like I distinctly remember 
like having notes from daylight to dusk, I would roll in like two hundreds. And when it got dark, I could roll five thousands back out. I mean, it was some, you, you just say those numbers today and there's are like, what? I mean, but that was what you did. Like you just would see the light so much quicker because it's an it, it LEDs either on or off that incandescent. Well, let me share this story. This is one of my favorites. We are at the IHRA World Nationals years ago. And if I've told this story on the podcast before to the, the hashtag loyal listener, I do apologize. But IHRA used to have a category called modified eliminate. It was basically a mixture of NHRA comp and NHRA superstar in that it was a competition eliminator format. Like you could run a, a dragster, say. But it was under super stock uh, rules, if you will, in terms of like it was a dial in race. It was not, you know, fast, first one to the finish line points. You'd run faster than your index, you would dial unless you had a, a heads up run a car in, a, in, a, in the same class. And we're at the World Nationals. There's way too much to do. It was IHRA's Indy, right? It was at Norwalk. It was actually the week prior to Indy back then. We're talking 20 plus years ago. And we were sitting around for way too long. And we came to the determination that the, the fast quick rod car, 890 car that Mike Fuquay had sitting idle in his trailer was actually legal for like B dragster in modified eliminator. And we thought that we could make it run the index. So prior to the last qualifying session, Gary Williams unloads said dragster, pulls the delay box out of it and rolls up to see if he can qualify for modified eliminator. And we're fired up, you know, I mean, we're doing the whole stock eliminator thing. We're tuning this thing up. We're going to make it go fast, see if G-Dub can run the index, qualify for the world nationals, right? So that's our only focus. And we get up in the staging lanes at Norwalk. He's probably 10 pairs back from going out. And it dawns, I don't know if it crossed his mind as the driver, but it dawned on me for the first time, dude, you're in a drag shit. It's about to go like, you know, at that time, probably 770, which was rotating the earth. We just took the delay box out. We're going to have to leave at like 5,500 because the thing's got to run. And you've got a mushroom button. Like, what the hell? Are, how are you going to hit the tree? And he just looked at me and said, Bogat, I'm just going to let it get good and warm. <laughs> let that bottom ball get good and warm. He rolls out there and he's 10. Like he's hitting a spot that does not exist. Yeah, I think he lost third round. I don't believe he was ever worse than 15. And this is a drag show that if you put the delay box back in, it would have had over 1,100 in it. And he's just rolling. There's got to let it get good and warm. Can't really do wow. that with LEDs, Big Jet. But he could let that incandescent bulb get good and warm. <laughs> yeah, you know, you hear a lot of uh, tales from the incandescent days, Luke. I, uh, I was a, obviously a bottom bulber for, for most of my career and racing and you know you had those guys are you leaving as it's coming on or you leave like when it's on or <laughs> i've always told them hell i don't know the difference yes the answer is yes uh, that's <laughs> obviously today it's it's either on or off it has no illumination to it uh, or no uh no slow illumination to it but you know obviously they People really thought, Luke, that they could leave as it was coming on. Um, but you, you didn't do that back then. You had to do a lot of guessing back in the day. Uh, you just Sometimes you guessed right all night. Sometimes you didn't. Most of us were guessing. 
I remember Jeff Heffler telling me the trick is look into the filament. Look into the filament. See it light up. I remember Steve Cohen. Cohen would swear by it, and he may have been right. Like he probably was right, right? Super Steve. But if Cohen was in the water box behind a pair that went red in his lane, he would add like 5,000 to the box because the bulb's warm. Yellow stayed on longer. Filaments heated up. He was probably right. You know, uh, like, <laughs> he probably think, was. These are things that we don't think about today. This this was the challenge of racing in 1985, 19. I, I don't, I raced on incandescence. Like when was that switch over? It had to have been early 2000s. Uh, I'm going to say that it was right around 2001. Yeah, 2002. Um, definitely, uh, I started traveling a little bit in 03 with the B&M series, and that one was on uh, that was on uh, LEDs. Pretty sure that was on LEDs. So, you know, that and I had just gotten a look at those. Matter of fact, you raced on both. You know, you yeah. Every track didn't have LEDs, yeah. so you'd race at home on incandescents and then travel and race on LEDs. When's the last time? You Good discussion. Oh man, um, I would have to say about 2003. Uh, there were still incandescents around here then. I think it was around then. I've got some old country one. tracks here in Alabama. I got me one like just over a decade ago. I mean, it was enough where I had to stare at it a few times, be like, what is that? Like, I, I didn't really remember <laughs> incandescents, but I had one fairly recently, probably a decade ago. But wow. I, I, no, I've that's... been known to frequent the, the hole in the wall. So, how? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have known that anybody had them that recent. So, good discussion. When it's, when it's all said and done, Luke, is it harder to win now or is it easier to win now? Same. Yes, I agree. I agree. If it was harder for you then, it's harder for you now. And if it was easier then, it's still more easier now. Whatever. Something like that. The answer, yeah. the answer is yes. I think that wraps us up, Luke. And to Jessica's point, like, It'd be sloppy to watch. I'd be all in for an incandescent race. I'm not saying that I'd do any good, but it'd be fun. Yeah, I would be in for that for sure. Um, you know, of course, I let go on the top now, so it wouldn't be a big deal, but just adjust the box. But I would like there's some foot breaking on incandescent. I think uh, going that's where maybe going 580s on the foot break would have somewhat of an advantage. Um, so that, that 300s is real. Yeah, especially foot breaking. So, good stuff. Great discussion, Luke. Uh, obviously, you know, next week you you mentioned the rundown of Fall Fling, uh, the Midwest Nats, Division 7 ET Finals, Division 1 Lucas Oil event at uh, VMP. So a lot to talk about next week. Certainly going to be Fall Fling heavy. They're running right now. I know the the Dragster shootout was uh, going to the final as uh, as I come in to get ready for the podcast. It was uh, in G-Dub was in it, and uh, and Troy lost in the semis against the other car. It was almost an all-Williams final, but I know G-Dub was in it, and I forget the other competitor. I apologize, but uh, so a couple of guys picked them up, dragsters there at the fling, and it's going to be a great week there. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing JJ get to race there, uh, do some announcing there. He's 17. He's going to strike out on his own tomorrow uh, around lunchtime with his trailer, headed to Bristol. So. Uh, my boy's going to do some growing up tomorrow and, and find his own way to Bristol. He's followed his dad up there quite a few times, but tomorrow it's a new game. 
And uh, I said, bud, you, I know you're going to be on your GPS. You feel pretty comfortable with, with the trip and, you know, getting where you're going to go, GPS going guide you. And he said, oh, if it'll get me to the exit, I'll be fine. Well, yeah, the exit takes you right to the track, son. Uh, that's that's <laughs> not going to be a, yeah, that's, Getting to the exit is going to be the challenge, not getting to the track from the exit. So uh, hopefully things go well, but I could get a call. We'll see. Big but happenings for either. JJ. Let me give you this question. Let's brag on JJ a little bit. Big happenings for JJ. The world yeah, is, is really at his fingertips right now. This is huge for JJ. He's uh, he's had a great week at school. He's been nominated for homecoming court. Uh, that is next Friday. I've got the pep rally, the parade, and the game where he uh, takes to the young lady that's also in homecoming court, or at least the one that he's escorting. They'll come out on the field. And he's all going to be dressed up in his suit, which he is absolutely hating. And uh, then he goes that following day to uh, announce the IHRA World Finals, which his dad will be competing in at Holly Springs. And, uh, you know, this week he's obviously uh, fling heavy and getting to race and announce on the big stage. So not too bad for Jage right now. Things are pretty good. Life is good. Way to go, Jage. Now you had that delay, man. I know that was a good comment right yeah. there. I just like it. It's good to be JJ. What can I say? It is good to be JJ. All right, Bogak, that wraps us up. Uh, guys, we appreciate you watching. If you are tuning in live tonight, and uh, certainly if you're just listening on Friday, we appreciate your listenership as well. And if you're doing both, uh, that is even more gooder than just doing one of them. So thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you got some comments, so then the stuff that uh, that you guys have been putting online, thank you for chiming in there. We appreciate it. If you got some things you want to say about the show or uh, things that you think we should have done or not should have done, should have talked about, should have not took the, talked about, whatever, go to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can put those comments out there for the world to see, or you can send us a private message. And producer Mark will snag that up and let us know what you had to say. Luke, you didn't seem to go to the notebook today, so um, you're going to have a delay. So go ahead. There you go. Go ahead and click that off. And uh, if you got some shouts or anything you want to say, it's your floor. I'm slacking on the shouts. The only thing that comes to mind, shouts to Larry Kopp and his cigarettes and hitting Andrew. He was pretty damn good at it for all that he had going on. I don't really know how he did it, but he did it. <laughs> it was not our start. Let's be clear. It was not our start. <laughs> And Luke, this is no time for this, but it just made me think when I started announcing, I started on a crime deck system at Lasser Mountain Dragway and the announcer had to figure, figure out who won. So people say all the time, man, Jed, you, you know, you're good with that math. How do you do it so fast? That was the only way you could do it when I started at a very young age at Lasser Mountain. Was there not true win lights? Like first to the finish got the win light and you had to tell them who won? No, there was a true win light when you had you flipped the right one or you flipped the left one. Luke, I was I was 15 years old. There's no telling how many times I got it wrong. And you know, when people started suspecting that you could be getting it wrong, they would send somebody to the tower to watch the numbers to make sure you know that's what got. Uh, it, so, it was good stuff back in the, the day. term tower power actually had roots somewhere <laughs> the tower one somewhere power. there was tower power yes it wasn't <laughs> with me but i probably fouled a few up and sent the wrong guy to the next round <laughs> multiple times in my in my early announcing days guys luke and i are both active on the x uh, you can add us 
uh, tag us, whatever you do there. Uh, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. Again, thank you for tuning in in whatever way you're getting us tonight. We appreciate you so much. Big show next week with a lot of great results, and we can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. Oh, it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.